Well, good morning. Um, if you don't know, my name is Anthony Lind. I'm the uh, youth pastor here at Bethesda. Pastor Randall and Linda are still down in Kansas enjoying the Christmas vacation and time with family. Um, and so we don't have the what's in the box this morning, unfortunately, because um, I'm not... That's too high of a standard for me to live up to. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I did okay with impromptu speeches in high school, but man, that's just a whole nother level for sure. Um, but I did um, kind of both as an introduction to our message, my message this morning, and um, just because it's something we want to keep focusing on, um, is the uh, children have been continuing through what's called the New City Catechism um, here, and they're on... Um, they're on question four and five, kind of. So they've been focusing on question four and five for the next, for December and January. So I was curious, um, and I didn't get it on a PowerPoint like I hoped to, but is there a, um, a, a kid here who knows the answer to question four that would be willing to come up and um, answer it for us? So the question is, how and why did God create us? So is there somebody here, one of the kids? that maybe would be willing to, I know some of you probably know the answer, but would you be willing to come up front and give us the answer? Raise your hand. How and why did God create us? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm a mom pointing one out up there, but no. How and why did God create us? Oh, man, my intro is a failure from the beginning. <clears throat> I'll blame it on the fact that we're short on kids this morning. Um, as I look out in the crowd, but um, how and why did God create us? Well, maybe there's an adult. Is there an adult that wants to come up and share? <laughs> I have a kid volunteering about no, a parent now. <laughs> how and why did God create us? Helene will come up. God created us male and female to glorify Him. Yeah, okay. So God created us male and female in His own image to glorify Him. Um, so that's kind of, they simplify the answer a little bit for children. If you go to kind of the adult version, if you want to label it that, it says, God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Um, so uh, our goal with the catechism, and I think this is be Helene's goal, and um, she would uh, agree with me here, but it's, um, it's not just to teach our young people and us as adults. Um, well, our goal is to teach the basic um, core truths of what we believe, but it's not just so that we can have a bunch of cute little robot children who can spit out answers when asked, right? Um, it's not so we can prove to others that we're smarter than them. Um, it's a piece of a puzzle that we are trying to put together um, in order to disciple people, right? It's kind of like um, if you picture a puzzle, right? It's, it's just one of the pieces that we're using alongside um, what we teach in Sunday school, what we teach in Awana, what you teach at home, the experiences and the things that they have with you and at church, to disciple people, right? And it's so that when, and I say when, not if, 
when your faith is challenged that we have a solid foundation to fall back on, right? It's not just to look smarter. It's not just to look cute. Um, because challenges will come. They, they do come to every person. I mean, they come in many forms, right? Um, sometimes it's an atheist teacher or professor at school. Um, sometimes it's a physical, spiritual, or verbal abuse against you or against someone you love. And sometimes that's even done by people in the church or people claiming to be Christian, right? Maybe it's a rude coworker ridiculing you for what you believe and how you live. Um, or maybe it's just the difficult life circumstances of death, sickness, disease, um, all that comes with it. And that's just to name a few. And the catechism question is a great way um, to lead into my message. I was hoping it was going to be a great way with an example here this morning um, from the letter of Jude. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Jude. Um, but I'm kind of wondering now, honestly, after you hear kind of we go through the catechism question, you hear that we're going to be in Jude. Some of you maybe not even know that was a letter in the Bible. Um, and at this point in your message, you're maybe wondering, like, why are we doing this today? Right? Like it's the day after Christmas, um, it's the last Sunday of the year, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly be focusing more on Jesus or whatever other thoughts might be going through your head. And I can only give you a simple answer to that question if you're wondering why. Um, since I'm just the substitute up here, right, um, I kind of get to choose what I'm going to be um, preaching on. And usually when I do that, um, I try to go with topics that God is working on in me or um, teaching me. And over the past several months, there have been a handful of incidents um, just in my life that have, have had me asking the question, why? Why do I believe that? Nothing major personally or, you know, nothing of those life-changing moments, but just different things. Like, for example, um, I had a conversation this week with, uh, with a guy who said that he believed in God. He even said that he prayed all the time to God, um, but yet he said he didn't see the need to come to church. Um, and so, why? Like, how do, I, uh, how do I answer that? How do I help somebody in that frame of mind um, believe what I say Scripture says about the church and why we're here this morning? It forces me to think through the why that I believe church is important um, and how I'm gonna communicate or how I could communicate to um, this person. And I'm not doing that, just again, so to win an argument, to put someone else down, to show others that I'm smarter than them or more spiritual than they are. Um, that's not my motivation. It's not even primarily to show people that what I believe is right, even though I'm convinced that what I believe is right. Um, but if we're honest, sometimes those are our motivations, right? Yeah. If we come across a coworker, a teacher, a family member, um, we have some of those wrong motivations sometimes just to, to show that we're smarter, that we're better, that we're more spiritual, um, that they're wrong and we're right. Um, but our motivation should be our love for others. If I say I love somebody and I'm convinced that they are believing a lie, something that is not true, then out of love, I will do what I can to try to change their belief. And what tipped the scales in favor of the topic this morning was a book that I recently um, purchased and started reading uh, called Another Gospel by Alyssa Childers. 
And she uses her story to help others understand the importance of this idea of contending for your faith. And many of you probably don't know the name Alyssa Childers, um, but if you're in that 30 to 40 range, primarily female, um, guys maybe not admit it, but if there was a band called, um, Christian band called Zoe Girl, and she was one of the three members. Um, in that early 2000s, they were, they were pretty popular, kind of a Christian pop rock group. And after the group disbanded, Alyssa kind of moved on with um, her life. She still did some of the performing and singing, things like that, but her life was primarily taken up by her family and her kids. And um, her and her husband started attending a new church plant um, in their area that primarily because the speaker was an engaging speaker. He, was, he did a great job communicating, connecting with people, um, really had gained their trust. And after attending for a while, she was invited by this pastor to attend a special um, kind of invite-only class, right? You had, you had to be invited by the pastor to come to this class, and they were going to explore kind of their faith and what they believed on a deeper level. But as she started attending um, these classes, right at the beginning, the pastor, and I should put that in quotes, um, he, he labeled himself, he described himself as a hopeful agnostic, okay? If you don't know what that means, basically it's somebody who, yeah, there probably is a God, but I don't really know that we can know much about him. Like, I'm hopeful there's a God, I'm hopeful that maybe all these things in the Bible are true, but uh, I'm just, I don't really think it's, you can be 100% certain, right? Um, and uh, what this trusted individual did as they, they um, went through different topics and were starting to kind of explore some things um, that were not according to scripture was create a storm of doubt in Alyssa's life that almost crushed her faith, right? She began to question everything. Um, thankfully, by the, by the grace of God and the help of others, she was able instead to face those doubts head on and use them to strengthen her faith. Um, so let's turn to the book of Jude, the letter of Jude, if you want to call it that, and see what we can learn this morning. If you don't know, it's the second to last book in the Bible, right? If you go to Revelation and just flip back, you're right there. Or if you're from Awana, that first John, second John, third John, Jude in Revelation, right? Okay. So it's right there at the end. So first, or there's only, it's a really short letter. Um, it's got 20 some verses. We're not going to go through every single verse, um, but we're going to uh, look at some verses this morning and see what we can learn about contending for our faith. So the first couple of verses in Jude uh, read like this. It says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, some of your translations may say servant, and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So real quick, just kind of as an as a intro, um, Jude, uh, maybe uh, Judas, uh, Jude uh, is um, not that Judas that you're thinking of in um, the Gospels, but it says here that he's a brother of James, which means that he was one of the half-brothers of Jesus, right? This was a son of Mary and Joseph, um, grew up with Jesus. And I find it very interesting that if you look at Jude, and if you flip back to James, um, they both start out their letters with the same way they identify themselves as servants of Jesus Christ, right? Um, 
They were not apostles. They didn't try to say that they were, um, but they were servants of Jesus Christ. And if only we had the full story, right? If we could go back and look, I think it would be amazing to see um, these two brothers, James and Jude, go from growing up with Jesus, um, you know, playing with him, eating with him, you know, sleeping in the same rooms, using the same bathroom, right? Jesus had to go to the bathroom, um, you know, sharing the same meals, all of these things, um, to, uh, to seeing him go off, and probably almost in their minds, um, I think we kind of see in some of the, the um, story of the Gospels that they don't really, they didn't believe him. They were like, well, this, he's kind of a little crazy. He's doing some things that we don't really um, don't know what's going on to then seeing him die um, and then seeing him resurrected, I believe. And then, um, you know, they become leaders in the church, right, to proclaiming that the brother, the person that they grew up with um, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, that he is not just any other person and that he came to take away the sin of the world. I think that would be a pretty amazing story to see, but unfortunately we don't get it all um, but he's a brother of Jesus. He's writing to believers, right? He calls them called, loved, and kept. Um, and his love for them is obvious he's, when he says at verse two, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, right? He wants to see them um, increase in mercy, of the mercy of God extended to them, and the peace of God extended to them, and the love of God for them be multiplied. Um, and honestly, I think we could spend an entire sermon on this two verses, and you probably think, wow, that would be incredibly boring, um, but Jude was a really great pastor. He had, he's like, three-point sermons are his thing, right? And first one, called, loved, kept, right? If we actually really dove into what those words mean as followers of Jesus, that you are called by God, you are loved by God, and you are kept by Jesus Christ, um, that's pretty powerful, and even the fact that, you know, the mercy, love, mercy, peace, and love, right? He's got two three-point sermons, right, in the first two verses. Maybe it's a whole series, right? But we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to keep going on. In verse 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Right, if you like to take notes, this is actually a three-point sermon. I'm not usually that great at that, but um, this morning it is. Um, it's a, our th kind of three main points of our, our message this morning is the first one comes from this verse, and that is to contend for the faith. Right, it says it right there. He says, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. But before we dive into that point, Let's make it a little more personal, right? How many of you still have a physical copy of your Bible? You're not using something electronic, okay? Some of you maybe don't like to do this, but what I'd like you to do is get out a pen or pencil from the thing in front of you um, because every one of us probably knows someone that we love or a, a family member, a coworker, somebody who is doubting their faith or who has rejected the truths of the Bible, probably, Right? And so, where it says at the beginning of verse 3, my translation says, dear friends, I would encourage you to cross off the word friends and put the name of somebody that you know who is doubting or who has rejected the, the claims of Christianity. So that it says, dear, personalize it. 
Okay, we want to be, we were, we were eager to write to them about the salvation we share, but we find it necessary to write and encourage them to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So there's several implications from this idea that we need to contend for the faith. And the first one we, we see is that it takes effort, right? To contend for the faith takes effort. The original language that Jude would have written in would have been Greek, and that, that word contend there um, could be defined as to contend strenuously in defense of, right? To contend strenuously in defense of. It's funny, it was actually this morning as I was reviewing my notes, it made me think of Ron and I watched the Doctor Strange movie this weekend. You can judge me later if you want. But um, as he's learning to use these weapons in the movie, uh, the guy who's teaching him says, learn to use these weapons as if your life may depend on it, because one day it will. Right? It's kind of that idea. Right? One day um, that your life depends on these. This is hard work. And it made me think of, um, because I know this with many of you, that there's lots of people here that are really good at gardening, like really good, not just like average, but really good. Um, and I know that you take great care. You, you put the seed in the ground um, at the right time. There's some of you that are like, man, you don't, you don't just like when it's convenient for you to do you put the seed in the ground. Like, you know when it's supposed to go in the ground at the right time and what plant at what time. And, and then you, you, know, you water it and you fertilize it and you water it um, continuously and um, you fertilize it, you pull the weeds uh, you maybe even put stuff on there to keep the bugs away or the diseases and the things that might be uh, threats to your plants. Um, and it takes consistent effort over time. But what you get, because we've been the blessing of a lot of that, is beautiful, amazing results, right? You get amazing fruit, um, amazing vegetables, all the amazing flowers. Um, and you could do the same thing. You could plant the same seeds and you could leave that garden all summer long um, and you could not water it, you could just depend on the rain, you could not weed it, uh, you could not fertilize it, and you would still get some results. You'd still get something, more than likely, but it wouldn't be the same. It would be very limited. I think that's kind of this, illustrates this idea of contending for the faith. It takes effort, right? We can still, we could, we could do nothing and get something, but if we do more and we use our effort and our energy wisely, um, I think the fruits of that, of contending for our faith, will uh, be much greater. So it takes effort. Um, it also implies that there is a set of beliefs that we must be willing to contend strenuously for, right? If there was nothing to contend for, you wouldn't have to do it. There's a set of beliefs that Jude is saying, there's things that you need to be willing to fight for, in a sense, right? Hence, the catechism. Um, those have been around for centuries. We're convinced that there are a set of beliefs that one must agree to to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and this is important because it's becoming increasingly popular in our current culture um, to uh, this idea that um, Christianity, uh, in the, new, the way the, new, the Bible explains Christianity, was just like one of the flavors of Christianity back then, that they happened to be the strongest, they won out, that's why we have all these letters, that's why we have this. Um, 
they won kind of the, the idea war, the theology war, um, but it was just one of the things that you could believe and still be called a follower of Jesus. Um, but uh, even non-Christian scholars have agreed that they said that within two to three years of Jesus' death, right, two to three years of Jesus dying, that there were uh, what they call um, creeds, kind of like our catechism, that they used to pass on what they believed. And if you don't believe me, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, um, there's one of these creeds. You can read it right here. It says in chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. I want to make sure you know what it is. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold on to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you what was most important, what I also received. And then he lays out in the next couple of verses that one, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared over 500 brothers at one time, most of them still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. All right, there's an ancient creed from... Um, shortly after Jesus passed away, that they would use short little things like that to, to pass on what they believed because they knew it was important. Um, can, and can we trust what was been handed down to us? That kind of is the next logical question. And I'm not going to get into it, but I will say yes, right? Uh, more here than we can do this morning. Uh, but, a bit, but if you don't believe that you can trust this, okay, one, I don't really think you can trust anything, um, and everything has to be questioned. But if you don't believe you can trust the Bible, then really anything that you have read that's old, you shouldn't trust it either, right? Because the Bible has more copies of the, the New Testament and the Old Testament text um, than any other book in history. Um, it is, has copies that are um, closest to the originals than any other uh, books or writings in history. Uh, and if you don't quite understand the importance of that and you want to come talk to me afterward and we can try to explain it a little more. Um, but the reason I think that it's important for us now, just as it was important for Jude to write about, that we contend for the faith is as we move forward, especially in America, um, I would say that we are no longer a nation of people who follow biblical principles, Right? Um, we were at one point, and I would say I would believe that our nation um, and the founding fathers who kind of put together the bedrock and the foundation of how our nation is supposed to be, to be governed and things like that were the, the principles that they used were based on biblical principles. Um, I would say I believe that 100%. And for decades, most people... Um, lived by those principles. I'm not saying they were all Christians. I'm not even saying we're a Christian nation, whatever that is, but most of them lived by principles that you could find in the Bible. And they did that for, for decades. Um, but as often happens, um, things start to drift. 
Um, especially if you don't explain kind of the important why behind the what you believe. And I would say that's no longer the case, and I think you would agree with me. And no matter how hard we try to legislate morality, right, to tell people that you have to believe this because it's a law or whatever we want to do, um, it won't change someone's behavior unless, unless their belief behind the behavior changes, right? You can tell somebody not to do that, and you can make a law not to do that, right? Let's use speeding, for example. You can tell people that you're not supposed to speed, and you can make a speed limit law, right? But really, until somebody believes that that's the best thing for them, and it's the safest thing for them and for others, they're still going to speed, right? You go any other thing. And that's why it's important for us to know the why behind the what we believe, because it's not, it's no longer um, accepted by every person. And remember, check your motivation before opening your mouth, right? Um, this isn't so, like we said at the beginning, it's not so you can be better, look better, look smarter, right? It's because we believe that this is the way to live the, your best life, right? Not your, your easiest life, but the best way to live life. So Jude is encouraging his readers to contend for the faith, and I'm encouraging you as well to contend for the faith and make sure you know the why behind the what that you believe. But that's not the only thing he focuses on. In verse 4, he says, For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ our only Master and Lord. And the second thing Jude, Jude warns them, and um, I would say we need to make sure we learn, is to learn to recognize false teachers, right? And that's really the main point of Jude's teaching, right? Contend for the faith because there's people who are trying to change your belief. And for clarification, I had to try to think about this um, this morning because I was really, I, I didn't want this message to come across like judgmental, that if you don't believe this, you're a horrible person kind of thing. Um, and I think I, uh, God kind of gave me a, a clear um, distinction and a clear point of clarification that when Jude is talking about these people here, right, he's talking about a very specific group of people. It's not your, your neighbor, Sally, who doesn't believe the gospel, right? It's not your, your family member um, who has just chosen to not accept Christianity, right? This is a specific group of people who not only do they reject the God of the Bible, but they're trying to convince you and convince other Christians um, that they should reject what is taught in the Bible as well, right? Maybe that is a family member. Maybe that is a neighbor. Um, but it's not just your average unbelieving person. Um, it's a specific group of people. And I make this point um, because Jude's attitude, honestly, and the attitude of the New Testament writers uh, towards false teachers is very different than what the Bible calls our attitude to be towards our unbelieving neighbors and family members. Um, it's, it's completely different. So, um, but we still need to be able to recognize false teachers. So what are some common characteristics of false teachers? Um, there's three things I think that Jude points out are very, very common of almost all people who try to pull others away from the face. The first one is that they deny core doctrines about Jesus, right? Verse four, it says right there, they are denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. 
even something, when you put it in the context of Christmas, even something as innocent as the virgin birth of Jesus is extremely important. Right? And we could, go, we could go deep into that. Right? But when somebody starts to deny core teachings about Jesus, your ears should perk up and you should start to pay better attention to make sure you're not being led into something that's not true. Almost all cults, almost all people um, who try to pull others in with what they um, say is maybe a flavor of Christianity but is not true will say something different about Jesus than what the Bible says, okay? It's the number one thing. So they deny core doctrines about Jesus. The second thing is they don't call people to repentance and change from their sin. Um, instead, they accept it and come up with biblical reasons, quote-unquote biblical reasons, why it's okay, right? Um, in that verse two, it says, they're turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ. If you jump down to verse eight, it says, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, right? He's talking about sin there. And it's, it is very, very interesting um, that almost always at the top of the list of that people try to justify when they want to reject the claims of Christianity has something to do with sexual sin, right? I don't, I don't understand it completely, um, but it's almost always there. And if they want to do something um, sexually that is outside or different than what the scripture claims, then they try to change what they believe, right? Because in a sense, you're trying to justify what you want to do. And I, I remember um, hearing a commentator on Moody Radio talk about this um, not too long ago. Um, there was, a, it's probably been a couple years now that actually I think about it and when I looked it up, but many of you maybe, um, if you've heard of a guy named Joshua Harris, who was a pastor um, uh, and he was, uh, he wrote a, several books back in the 90s um, kind of related to dating and Christian dating and, and waiting to have sex before marriage. Um, and recently, within the last couple of years, he went from being a pastor to um, divorcing his wife, rejecting Christianity, saying he's no longer following um, Christianity anymore. And the commentator, when they were talking about kind of this big news about this, um, this pastor, kind of a, a, a figure in Christianity rejecting his faith, he said that um, if he was to talk to them, and I don't remember the, who, the, who the guy was that was on the radio, I wish I could, but um, he said if he was talking to somebody like that, and, or when he is talking to somebody who, who wants to completely reject their faith, especially with men, he says the first question he would ask is, how long have you been looking at pornography, right? Not if, he said, how long? He says, because it's always something. It's always there. There's always something related to um, what we want to do uh, sexually that leads people astray from what God teaches um, to change what they believe. So they don't call people to repentance, but instead try to say, no, God says it's okay. It's not that bad. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to change what you want to do. Um, there's, it's, God is okay with it. And then the third thing they do is they reject authority. In verse eight it says, nevertheless these dreamers, likewise they defile their flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious runs, right? They reject the authority of the Bible, they reject the authority of the church, um, they reject the authority of God. And simply put, they just don't want someone telling them what to do or what to believe. And Jude and other New Testament writers, I, I hinted at this earlier, they aren't, aren't as nice as we would be in our current culture. Listen to how he describes 
um, these false teachers in verses 16 to 19. He says, these people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end times, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people will create divisions in our unbelievers not having the spirit, right? Jude doesn't even, he pulls no punches. He, he says what they are. They are unbelievers not having the spirit. And in 2021, our teachers look a lot different, right? Our teachers look different than somebody maybe kind of trying to come into Bethesda um, as a, in a leadership position um, to teach Contrary to what we believe, I would say where we're at with our church right now, that would be extremely difficult. Um, but if you are listening to someone, whether it's online, social media, um, sermons, podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is, um, a, a neighbor, a coworker, if you are listening to somebody who is saying things that are different than what you've read in the Bible, right? They're teacher. They are a teacher. They're trying to teach you something different. And we have to be incredibly careful. And when we start to see evidence, like some of these three things that um, we talked about this morning, of where they're off, then we need to cut them off, right? We can't allow them to continue to try to influence us to believe something that is contrary to the Word of God. The New Testament writers are a lot stricter on some of those things than we would be. Um, kind of the newest thing is um, TikTok, right? There's a lot of TikTok preachers that they, I mean, they've only got, what, like 60 seconds or whatever it is, um, but they, they, you can put whatever you want on there, obviously. Um, and so you have to be careful who are you are allowing to teach you and your kids in all reality, if you still have kids that are young. So Judas encouraged his readers to contend for their faith to watch out for false teachers, and now he ends his letter kind of with a blueprint of sorts on what we would look, what that would look like in a believer's life. How do you contend for your faith? Now, just a quick side note. You'll notice I skipped a lot of this letter, right? Okay, and I did that um, because if you aren't familiar with um, the Old Testament, Jewish history, if you're not familiar with Jewish culture during the time of Jesus and when Jude was alive, right, then explaining everything in here, verses 5 through really 19 or 5 through 16, becomes really difficult, right? And we would be here till 1 would be my guess. Um, because, and I'm not, I'm not doing it because I'm afraid that what they say in there is like weird and scary and confusing and is just off, right? I'm doing it because we just don't have time. And if you really want to know, um, kind of, because it, it can be confusing, right? It took me a long time to work through these verses and some of the things that Jude talks about in here because he uses stories from the Old Testament. He uses stories from um, that most Jews would have known then but aren't in our Bible, right? So if you really want to know those things, come talk to me this week and we can have a longer conversation. We just don't have time here and most of you would have fallen asleep anyways by the time we went through all of that stuff, right? So let's finish with Jude's blueprint in verses 20 to 22. He says, but you dear friends, as you build, up, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. 
Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on those who have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So our third point is Judas calling them to persevere. Um, it's a long and difficult road to be a follower of Jesus, right? Anybody tells you that once you accept Jesus, things are perfect, life's great, not gonna have any more problems, they don't know what they're talking about, right? They're trying to get you to believe something different as well. But Jude gives us five practices, and I'll run through them kind of real quick to help us persevere as we contend for the faith. First one is Bible study in verse 20, right? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Consistent time in God's word. When he talks about faith there, that, that word is like that set of beliefs. Build yourselves up in what you believe. Um, if you need guidance, ask an elder where to start. The beginning of the year is a great place to start a Bible reading plan if you've never done that. I think I can look out that door right there and see a bunch of colored papers that have those if you need it. Your phone has thousands of them on it if you need to. Um, I would encourage the chronological reading plan if you've never done that. Um, it's a great way to look at the whole Bible kind of in chronological order. Um, but we have to be in God's word if we're gonna contend for the faith. Uh, the second thing in, is at the end of verse 20, and praying in the Holy Spirit, prayer. Right? Nothing fancy, but it takes discipline to pray to pray continually, to pray consistently. And it's, it's more than just using God as our cosmic vending machine, right? God, I really need this. Can you give me this? I'm really struggling with this. Even if maybe it's a physical thing. I'm sick here. I've got a family member who's sick. Um, if that's your level of prayer life, I encourage you to, to kind of go deeper, find some, some teaching on how to pray at a deeper level than just using God as a vending machine for what you need and what you want. The third thing is abiding in his love, right? Verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Um, it goes kind of back to John 17 where Jesus prays for his followers that they would abide, that they would rest, that they would keep themselves in God's love. And as I thought about that this morning, that's really about trust, right? Abiding in God's love is trusting that he is faithful, that he is good, that he will never leave us or forsake us, right? So that when challenging things come, when hard things come, when things don't make sense in life, whether it's the death of a loved one, somebody who's rejecting something, uh, the Christianity in your family, that you, you, when you start to question God's goodness and love, right, that's what this abiding means, that you, you rest on that. You, you trust that that is true, even when it doesn't make sense. Uh, the fourth thing is looking for his coming, verse 21. Second part, it says, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Right? There is a hope and an urgency in eternal life, in the idea that there is eternal life. Right? Without eternal life, right, this doesn't make sense. The Bible does not make sense. There's a hope in that. There's justice in that idea of eternal life, that God will make all things Right, so looking for his coming. And the fifth thing is soul winning with discretion, right? Still evangelizing, still trying to share your faith, still trying to, to, to convince people that this is true and this is right and this is the best way to live life. But I, I find it interesting. I really, it was really neat how Jude says in verse 22, he says, have what on those who doubt? Have mercy on those who doubt, 
right? Doubt is common in life, okay? I have doubted multiple times throughout my faith whether this is actually true. Or honestly, is this really worth living like this, right? And if you haven't, man, more power to you, but I'm guessing the vast majority of you have had those moments, right? Um, have mercy on people when they're in those situations. Um, but I also think Jude recognizes in verse 23, says, save others by snatching them from the fire. Sometimes drastic measures are required, right? Sometimes people put themselves in situations that are so bad that you do have like drastic measures are required. Maybe you need to go drive to a family member's house and physically pull them out of the house that they're at or the situation that they're in because the choices that they've made have led them to a point that if you don't, right, things are not gonna end well. Um, And you gotta recognize that there are times for that. Um, And then he also says, have mercy on others but with fear. I think he's talking there about you have to realize that sin is powerful, right? There are some consequences to sin. Um, You should have a healthy fear of those consequences. You should have a healthy fear of the fact that sin can pull you in even if you don't struggle with that and you're trying to share the gospel with somebody who's struggling with something. Um, And the effects of sin are strong. You need to have a healthy fear of that but also with mercy communicate that truth and that love. And if you're striving in those five areas, you will be able to contend for the faith well, I think is what Jude is saying. Your foundation will be strong. Alyssa Childers, uh, she faced an incredible storm of doubt in her life when this pastor, I would say now if we look at this, I would say a false teacher came into her life. She, she sat through several of these classes and it felt like she was a fish out of water. She felt like there was nobody else in this class who believed the way she believed. And it caused her to question everything that she believed was true, okay? And then she had a choice. She could, she could reject what she had believed. As she grew up in the church. She was a Christian. She could reject all of that and, and choose to believe something different instead of rejecting it. Thankfully, she decided to investigate. She decided to find out for herself what was true. She started reading the early church fathers. She started studying and figuring out, is the Bible accurate? Can we trust the Bible and the beliefs of historic Christianity? And she could. She found out she can. And I would say you can too. You can trust what God's word teaches, even if others choose to reject it. So I'm gonna close with kind of a challenge for four different groups of people. Um, I'm challenging those of you who know the why, the who, the what, the where, behind what you believe, right? I know there's a lot of people in this church who do that. Um, I'm challenging you out of humility to continue to share that truth when God gives you the opportunity, right? Not as a stick to beat people over the head, um, but as a way to help them see what is true. I'm challenging those of you who confessed Christ as Lord, that you are a Christian, but you really don't know why you believe what you believe. And some of you, um, I've been to a point where sometimes where it's just like, I don't know that I want to go that to that work. Why do I need to do that? Do I need to really work that hard? Um, Jude is saying you do. Dig in and start strenuously studying, right? Um, find good resources and we can help with that. I'm challenging those of you who have accepted the beliefs that are contrary to God's word. Right? There might be somebody here this morning who says, You've, you've, you've went the other way. He said that what I've been taught since I was a kid, I don't believe. Um, to, I'm challenging you to reconsider the path that you've chosen. 
We aren't holding to the standard of the Bible here out of Bethesda, out of arrogance or pride, because we're better than others, right? We're holding to this standard because we are convinced it's right and true. And if we are convinced that it's right and true, then we, should, we will be trying to convince you as well that it is right and true. And I'm also challenging those who do not believe. Right? And if you don't believe any of this, um, the simplest way I can explain it is the ABC, right? Accept that you've messed up, that you have, you have done things that hurt your relationship with God. Um, you believe that Jesus and Jesus alone can save you, um, and you choose to follow him. Um, if you want to do that, uh, you know, talk to somebody here this morning who you can trust that you know has done that. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.